So that song, Firm Foundation, God is our firm foundation, right? The answer is yes. You can talk to me. That would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. God's our firm foundation, right? Yes. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, and so there's that one line in there, when, uh, rain came, wind blew, but my house was built on you. And uh, keep that thought in mind this, this morning as we're speaking. My house is built on Christ. Amazing, eh? Okay, so I've um, titled my message this morning, Cart Before the Horse, which sounds really spiritual, eh? Yeah, we'll get there. You'll understand why soon. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness, that sounds like a pretty good way to live, right? It does, yeah. So today is Thanksgiving, and we're going to be looking at this phrase, overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, But we're going to be looking at it coupled with another two little words in that same verse, in Him. Or, my house was built on Christ, as we just sung, in Him. So, before we start though, I've got a couple of pictures of a cart before a horse. Have we got those? No, a horse before a cart. Cart before a horse. (laughs) So confusing. (laughs) This isn't working at all. I should warn others not to put their cart before their horse. All right. Then the next one. That one's funny, eh? So what's wrong with that picture? It's backwards, isn't it? It's not in the right order. It's, the, it's that old saying, someone's put the cart before the horse. Now, I came across this other great quote, which is a little bit the same, the tail wagging the dog. Who's heard of that? All right, anyone who, who's seen a dog, you would have seen the dog wag its tail. But have you ever seen a tail wag its dog? Just doesn't happen. So there is an order to things, and although I know, I don't, sorry, I don't know a lot about horses, mainly because I fell off one when I was 18 and broke my arm, so I stay away from those stupid animals. <laughs> Sorry if you love horses. They, they are beautiful animals, they really are. But, but when you're racing your brother in the hills of Papamoa and you're trying to win and his horse goes around the corner like it's supposed to and yours just runs straight off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know a lot about horses because I apparently have a bad attitude about them, but I'm assuming putting the cart before the horse won't work. So we could apply this logic to many areas of our life. Have we got any gardeners here? We've got a few gardeners. Have you ever tried to harvest tomatoes or lettuces before you've planted the lettuce and tomato plants? No, it just won't work. That's faith. (laughs) That's a lot of faith, (laughs) Kelly. A lot. Well, anyone that knows anything about cars, you know you'll need to put gas in the car before you drive it. It doesn't work the other way around. (laughs) Thanks, Wayne. (laughs) Fair comment. And I should know that because I drive an electric car. (laughs) It will work if you have a Flintstones car. We have a picture of a Flintstones car. Hey. Anyone old enough in here to remember the Flintstones? 
Yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch of you. <laughs> so I used to be a dairy farmer, and never once did I get to the cow shed to milk my cows before going to the paddock to bring the cows to the shed. You cannot milk your cows at the cow shed if your cows are still in the paddock. It just doesn't work. Right, so one more. Uh, how many boaties have we got in here? Or people who know a little bit about boats? I, Darren, I know Darren does. Someone over here? Okay, uh, over here, yes, yes. That's right, you guys have a boat. Uh, so I know a little bit about boats. And anyone who um, has boats or has experience with boats, there's a bunch of stuff you need to do to your boat before you put it in the water. And one that I learned from experience is you need to put the bungs in the boat before you put the boat in the water. So what a bung is, is it's this cool little, like a plug in a bath, basically. So when you take your, your boat out of the water and you put it on the trailer, you can undo these bungs and any water that happens to have got in the boat from people jumping in and out or minor leaks if your boat's old, all the water will come out, which is great. But then before you put the boat back in the water, the next time you go fishing or skiing or doing whatever, you have to put those bungs back in. Otherwise, just like water can come out of those holes, water can also go in those holes. So <laughs> I have this great story of my mum and dad. Uh, they had this Hartley 16 trailer sailor. Uh, and my dad is, he's great, but he's quite comedic at times. And I forget things all the time kind of a way. And he, uh, he, he forgot to bring the sails and the boom for the sailing boat. And so you can't sail a sailing boat unless you have those things. So he thought, I know, I'll back the boat into the water, tie it off to the dock, leave my mum there by herself with the boat, and then I'll drive home and get these things. So that's exactly what he did. Anyway, he forgot to put the bungs in the boat. <laughs> so he disappeared to go get the stuff and left my mum with a sinking boat. <laughs> it was just as well, there was, it was at a really popular boat ramp. So someone saved her, but it makes a great story because my mum's really loud when things aren't going her way. <laughs> the irony of that is they, they once had a boat named Whisper. <laughs> so basically... What I'm getting at this morning is there is an order to things that is important and really important in some situations. And it's exactly the same with our faith. Today, as we talk about Thanksgiving and that praise, oh, and that phrase overflowing with thankfulness from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we need to talk about what that looks like for us. So how can I wake up every morning? overflowing with thankfulness, overflowing with praise, and not hating my job or hating my car or being disappointed with my relationship and needing like seven cups of coffees before I face any of it. So my first point this morning about how, we can, how our lives can look like that is it's a decision. And maybe not the decision you think. So yes, I believe that overflowing with thankfulness is a decision. So we have to apply faith to our lives regardless of our situations and thank God for what he's doing in our lives and what he's done in our lives. But just like we don't want to put the cart before the horse, we won't overflow with thankfulness solely because of a decision to overflow with thankfulness. Now, the decision I'm talking about this morning takes us, requires us to take a step or two backwards and ask the question, 
what allows me to overflow with thankfulness. Now, the phrase overflowing with thankfulness comes at the end of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, and I believe overflowing with thankfulness is the outcome of what the rest of Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 is asking us to do. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. In Him, those two little words describe how we are meant to live our lives. Now, we all made a decision at some point in our lives to give our life to Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you grew up in a Christian family, so pinpointing that exact moment is difficult, or maybe your situation is difficult, and you can remember the exact moment, the exact time, the exact place where you were when you gave your life to Jesus. No matter what, at some point, whether you remember or not, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and He is now the Lord, your Lord and Savior. Now, what I want to focus on today, the decision I want to focus on today is not the moment you became a Christian, but every moment after that. Overflowing with thankfulness is the fruit of each one of us deciding to continually live in Him. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who wants, or anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches are gathered into piles to be burnt. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask, when, uh, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. Seven times there, Jesus uses the words, remain in me. Trying to produce spiritual flute. Flute? What's a spiritual flute? Trying to produce spiritual fruit. I bet that flute would sound amazing, though. Anyway, (laughs) trying to produce spiritual fruit, trying to overflow with thankfulness without remaining in Him is like putting the cart before the horse. It will feel difficult, it will feel unnatural, and it just won't last. So, my first point this morning is that the key to overflowing with thankfulness or producing any spiritual fruit. It's the decision we make not to do those things, but to remain in Christ and let him produce those things in us. So my second point this morning, the mystery of Christ in us. Sounds mysterious, doesn't it? Now, so for us to overflow with thankfulness or to produce any spiritual fruit, we need to remain in Christ. We need to be connected to him. Now, we'll talk about what that looks like soon, but before we do, I want to talk about what happens at the end of Colossians 1, which is just before our verses in Colossians 2. 
To them, God has chosen to make among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery known, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the end of Colossians 1 leaves us with this, this Christ in you, and then the start of Colossians 2 is us in him. Knowingjesus.com says, not only does the Spirit of God come to take up permanent residence within the body of each believer, but also the resurrected life of Christ is given to each one that, that has been saved by grace through faith in him. So remaining in him is not just an act of our own will, but a response to Christ being in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, and the Holy Spirit, uh, and in the Holy Spirit we live and we breathe. And this is, and that's amazing. But there's also this thought that the resurrected life of Christ is given to each one of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now I wonder, as mere mortals, whether understanding this mystery of Christ in us is a little bit big for our brains to completely comprehend, but what it means for us isn't. Christ in you means his resources are available to you. His strength is available to you. His hope is available to you. His mercy is available to you. His grace is available to you. His power is available to you. His life is available to you. And that is life everlasting. As we continue to live our lives in him, rooted and built up in him, we do so because of Christ. The hope of glory lives in us. And as we remain in him and he remains in us, we produce flute. Flute. <laughs> Man, that word's going to haunt me for the rest of the morning because <laughs> I have to say flute a few more times. <laughs> we produce fruit. We overflow with thankfulness. Flute. It's a shame it doesn't rely on with a kazoo. <laughs> All right, so... My last point this morning, I'm asking the question, what does remaining in him look like for us? Now, as we've talked about being in Christ, or as we've talked about what being in Christ looks like, let's acknowledge again the proper order we want to do things in. Just like we don't want to put the cart before the horse, we don't want to try and live as disciples of Jesus simply by trying to do what is right because of religion or obligation, or to appease a God we think needs, needs us to follow a bunch of rules. What we do for Jesus should be the fruit of a relationship with Jesus. What we do for Jesus is because we are purposed to live in Him. Those two important words, in Him. We want to stay connected to the vine that is Jesus. We are just branches, and branches do not produce anything if they're not connected to the vine or if they're not grafted into the vine. So what does being in him look like? What is required of us? How do we get things in the proper order so we can overflow with thankfulness or for that matter, so we can produce any spiritual fruit, not flute? I've got a few scriptures for us. John chapter 316. Anyone heard that one? pretty well known. Okay. <laughs> Just a couple of you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 6 verse 29. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not, not, not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. This is what I want you to get from these verses. The gospel is repentance and faith, or confession and faith. That's it. All we have to do to receive salvation and to spend eternity with Jesus is confession and faith. We place our faith in him. We declare Jesus is Lord. I know that our lives as disciples, disciples, (laughs) flute, as disciples i know that our lives as disciples should look like something because we're called to be salt and light to the world around us we're called to be a city on a hill we're called to be christ's ambassadors but we will be none of those things just because we try to be those things if your christianity is based on behavior or works or your own effort to be who you think you should be then you are putting the cart before the horse Here is what is required of you. The gospel is confession and faith. That's it. That's all. That's required of you. But, and this is a big but, the gospel produces something in you. So being a disciple is much more about staying in him. It's much more about our daily decision decision to confess that he is your Lord and Savior. It's much more about that daily decision to put your faith in him than it is about us trying to be a good Christian. Remaining in him is the daily decision we make as disciples of Jesus, and that daily decision produces something in us. It changes us so we look more and more like Christ. We become more and more of Christ's ambassadors. So yes, remaining in him looks like prayer. It looks like worship. It looks like praise. It looks like reading the word. It looks like serving others. But it doesn't look like those things out of religious mindset or religious mindset. I've decided that Jesus is Lord. I've placed my faith in him. And the result of that decision, that resu- the result of living in him changes me. It produces fruit in my life, like overflowing with thankfulness. So um, let's get a little deeper with this, because I really want us to understand that it's all him. All him, all him, and what he's done. And our part is small. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you and died on a cross because he loves you. He died on a cross to pay for us and and all our wrongdoing. He died on a cross so that he could spend eternity with us. That was his motivation. His motivation was love. His love for you. His love for me. And so we could spend eternity forever with him. His motivation was not to produce perfect little Christians who do and say and think all the right things. His motivation was love. What was his motivation? Thank you. 
So, okay, what about all, the thing, all those things we talked about before? What about the fact we are supposed to be a city on a hill? What about the fact that we are supposed to be Christ's ambassadors? We are meant to be salt and light to the world around us. We are supposed to be all those things, yes. But the gospel produces those things in us. And it produces those things in you because of God's motivation to love and save you extends to every single person around you. God doesn't just save us for a purposeless existence here on earth until we die and get to be with him. He uses us. He calls us into what? He calls us into a greater purpose here on earth. His purpose for us is to help others also come into his kingdom because he loves them. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. The right order of things is confession and faith in him and letting that produce fruit in us. Living in him makes us look more and more like him. We become more and more like Jesus Christ. Christ's ambassadors. And it allows us to overflow with thankfulness because we realize our incredible need for him and that there's nothing I can do to save myself. There's nothing I can do to pay for my own sin. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation to be in heaven with him. There's nothing I can do to create a purpose or a calling for my own life. It's all him. It's all him. It's all him. And I am so thankful. So we're going to finish soon, but where I want to land today is the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel, and that is made available to us because of God's love, his great love for us demonstrated on the cross. Our part is easy, confession and faith, that's it. Our part is that daily decision to wake up and declare God as our Lord and Savior, as my Lord and Savior, to daily place my faith in him. When we do that, when we walk with him, it will produce something in us significant. And God will use that to change the world. Our daily decision to follow Jesus is not situational either. It's not based on how well my life is going or how poorly my life is going. My decision is based entirely on who he is and what he's done. So, this exact day last year at our Thanksgiving gathering, I shared a journey that I'd been on for the previous 18 months, and I'd been suffering panic attacks. Can anyone remember that? Who was here? A few of you guys? Yeah. So I'd been suffering panic attacks for the previous 18 months. Now, I haven't really got time to go into that season this morning, but I will say panic attacks are the most tormenting experience of my life. I couldn't breathe properly, my heart would race, and I have this overwhelming sense that I needed to leave. And sometimes I left. I was supposed to be up on stage here speaking, but I was like, out the back door. The trigger for me was the five to ten minutes before I was speaking on stage. It didn't matter if I was leading the gathering, like Monique is this morning. It didn't matter if I was preaching. And it didn't matter if I was jumping up on stage for five seconds to introduce someone else who was preaching. If I had to come up here with the microphone and speak, I would have a panic attack or I would be fighting a panic attack. Now, the reason I could fight the panic attacks is I had some, 
I developed some ways I could manage the feelings. And I believe this is God's grace. The moment I was on stage speaking into the microphone, all the panic feelings disappeared. All of them. One of the decisions or the significant decisions I made over that time was daily to declare, ah, sorry, a major aspect of my journey over that time with God was thanksgiving. And I believe that that was the fruit of the decision I made over that time to remain in Him. Psalm chapter 28 verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. I don't burst out in songs of thanksgiving because I can't sing. (laughs) But I'm so thankful. Now, no matter how good the season you're in right now is or how bad the season you're in right now is, you can make a decision to remain in Him. It is not situational. Choose to place your faith and trust in Him. Choose to follow Him. Choose to spend time with Him. Choose to walk with Him. Choose to talk with Him. And remember, help is a great prayer and one I used often during panic attacks. Doesn't have to be spiritual or sounds overly spiritual or theological. You just need to keep talking to him. It's by remaining in him that we not only overflow with thankfulness, but by remaining in him, we will produce fruit that changes you and changes the world around us because we look more and more and more like Christ. So, to finish. We need to remember not to put the cart before the horse. Everything we do of significance, everything we do of significance, is because of God's great love for us. And all we have to do is declare Him as Lord and place our faith and trust in Him. That's it. He does the rest. He will produce something in us that changes the world around us so put the horse before the cart before you do anything else just love him remain in him